Welcome to the Get Real About Safety podcast. In our podcast, we discuss the new view of safety, what works and what doesn't work, to break down old paradigms and help you improve safety performance in your organization. Hi, I'm Mike. And I'm Pam, and we appreciate you listening. Please share and subscribe and tell others about this podcast. You can find us on most podcast platforms and also on YouTube. Hey folks, how's everybody doing? Hope you're doing good. It is October 23rd, and it's been a few weeks since we've done a podcast. I'll tell you, we have been really, really, really busy. It's kind of funny because a while back when the COVID thing first hit, we were pretty much shut down for a while. But we've been able to successfully convert most of our services over to virtual services. So we're doing tons of Zoom training, we're doing tons of uh, consultation, we're doing safety culture progress reviews, just a lot of different things that we do in our company. We are doing those all now virtually. So I hope everybody else is doing really well, hope everybody's surviving this thing, and hope that it gets better really, really soon. Today we're going to tackle the gorilla in the room, culpability. By the way, say that five times as fast as you can. Culpability, culpability. Yeah. How about this one? Red leather, yellow leather. Red leather, yellow leather. Say that five times really fast. (laughs) For those who are interested in implementing human performance in your organization, one of the biggest stumbling blocks to being able to effectively integrate and sustain human performance in your organization is the topic of culpability. Integrating HP principles into your operations requires that management responds appropriately to failure. It requires developing a culture of fairness, equity, and procedural justice when errors occur or when someone breaks a rule or a procedure. Unfortunately, in the old view traditional crime and punishment model of safety, everything is usually treated as a violation. The default is to typically blame and punish or retrain the worker. We call it the blame, shame, and retrain model. The problems with this approach are obvious. Since most errors and at-risk behaviors are actually induced by the operating system itself, placing blame on the workers is counterproductive. It leads to worker disengagement, resentment, underreporting, and workers fabricating information during accident investigations out of a necessity to protect their paychecks and their families. Even worse, It leads to ineffective analysis of events, which in turn leads to misdirection of resources and ineffective defenses or corrective actions. Organizations tend to waste a lot of money on defenses that have little to nothing to do with what actually led to the failure. So what is a just culture and why is it important? A just culture is an error-tolerant learning culture that encourages people to report mistakes so that error traps, error precursors, and underlying organizational weaknesses can be better understood in order to fix the system and to build more effective defenses. In a just culture, we are continually learning and designing safer systems. 
It's important simply for the reasons we've already discussed. The old crime and punishment model simply doesn't work. Now, it may work when it comes to some egregious, willful violation, but those honestly are quite rare. Without an environment of trust and error tolerance, it is not possible to learn how and when errors occur and to learn the deeper system issues that need to be fixed. Learning is key to an effective safety culture. We can't punish our way to safety excellence. It's not possible for a punishing organization to also be a learning organization. When one is punished for a human error or punished for system-induced behaviors, it simply guarantees they will never tell us about it again. As Sidney Decker says, you can blame or you can learn, but you can't do both. Take your pick. Now, some organizations claim to have a learning culture when, in fact, they do not. Some simply cannot get past punishment as a default. As a result, they never really learn from the perspective of the workers how their decisions made sense to them at the time, given the complexities and complications of doing the work. And what they get is lip service from the people doing the work. This really highlights a huge issue in that management often wants to know what's going on, but they can't handle what they hear. They can't handle reality. These organizations don't have a learning culture and, quite frankly, are not culturally mature enough to go down the road of human performance. Earlier, I mentioned that understanding culpability is one of the biggest stumbling blocks to human performance. Some managers cannot get past the fact that every deviation is not a punishable offense. This has been ingrained in the mind of managers and supervisors forever, and it is a difficult thing for some to change their mindset. And it's not their fault. We in safety have taught them that. And that's because most safety people have been taught that as well. If you think about how most people entering the safety field are trained, it's around OSHA. OSHA is a law enforcement agency. It's their job. So with them, everything is a violation without looking any deeper into the underlying reasons. As a result, most safety programs are based around a law enforcement crime and punishment model. So for you, those forward-thinking safety professionals and forward-thinking managers trying to institute the new view, this will be one of your biggest challenges. So what is culpability? You can define that as the degree of blameworthiness that one deserves based on their actions. There are different degrees of culpability, and as a result, each one requires a different response. In HP, there are four areas we have to be cognizant of, and that is system-induced error, system-induced behavior, human error, and then culpable behavior. System-induced errors and behaviors require fixing the system. It's not productive to punish a worker for things that are system-induced, and in fact, it just simply causes them to disengage. For example, violating a rule or a procedure can be system-induced. Often, a procedure does not match the work because they are written by people who are very smart, but they've never actually done the work. When workers are given a flawed procedure, but are put under production pressure to get the work done, often they will ignore the official procedure and come up with their own procedure, which usually works, by the way. 
Punishing the workers because management gave them a screwed up procedure is unfair to the workers and it fixes nothing. And in fact, blaming the worker fixes nothing. Human error is not at all blameworthy. As we've stated many times in our training sessions and podcasts, human error is not a choice. You can't punish or train someone to not forget. You can't incentivize someone to not make a mistake. As a result, we have to accept that human beings will make mistakes and design systems that control the consequences of when someone makes a mistake, not if. Because as long as they are human beings, they will make mistakes. It's part of the human condition. So now that leaves us with culpable behaviors and determining the degree of culpability. Some behaviors are coachable, and some, albeit they are very small in the big scheme of things, are punishable. So before we go any further, we need to talk about something. Let's not kid ourselves. While most behaviors certainly are not culpable, there are a small number that do exist. I mean, let's face it, that's why we have prisons. That's why we have jails. There are times when someone simply breaks a rule because they are disgruntled or they just simply have a bad attitude. If someone shows up to work intoxicated or steals tools and equipment, those require disciplinary action up to and including termination of employment. Now, there are some HP folks out there that would argue that all actions and behaviors in the workplace are blameless. I would argue that when egregious acts are allowed to go unpunished, it sends exactly the wrong message to the other workers and can actually harm the culture. The danger in this, though, is this. It's easy to stereotype all employees as egregious lawbreakers because we are so accustomed to viewing everything as culpable, because we are so steeped in blame. It's easier to simply default to blame rather than understanding and ferreting out what is and is not deserving of disciplinary action. Coachable behaviors can include situational violations. A situational violation is where someone perceives that the only way to do the job is to break the rule. Now, that's usually linked to things like production pressure. This is where maybe you see a worker stand up on the mid-rail of a scissors lift And the perception, though, is that they have to get the work done. They're under a lot of time pressure. They don't have a lift long enough. Uh, And so it's only going to take a few minutes to do the job. So they step up on that mid-rail for a few minutes. Now, oftentimes that is viewed as a punishable action, but that has a lot more to do with the culture of the organization. It has a lot more to do with staffing, schedules, budgets, and those underlying reasons. An exceptional violation is another coachable behavior, but what that means is it is a violation, but it occurs because of an emergency. An example of that might be someone runs on the job site. You have a rule where people are not allowed to run on a site, but somebody with a torch starts a fire. They have to run. Okay, they broke a rule, but they had to break that rule, right? That is not punishable. That's coachable, but it certainly is not punishable. Now, another one is violations for organizational gain, and this is pretty popular. You see this not only with workers, but sometimes with supervisors and managers as well, and that's where 
Those involved perceive that they are actually helping out the organization. They're saving money. They're getting the organization back on schedule. Now these are coachable behaviors that require leadership to step up to the plate. If we allow these behaviors to continue, those become normalized deviations within the culture. Punishable behaviors can include personal gain, recklessness, and sabotage. So let's talk about the first one, personal gain. Personal gain is where it is not system-induced. It is not a human error. They're simply trying to make it easy on themselves. Personal gain could initially be coachable, but if it continues, then probably disciplinary action may be warranted there. Recklessness can be defined as the unjustifiable disregard for significant risk. In other words, they just don't care. Now this is really rare, but oftentimes management tries to put workers into the recklessness bucket. But the fact is, there are small times when this does occur. And I'll give you an example. A number of years ago when I was in the construction industry, I had an iron worker who was working 60 floors in the air without fall protection. This was on a high-rise project. When I went up to talk to the guy and ask him about his fall protection, he said, I don't have it. And I said, well, where's your fall protection gear? He said, down in the gang box on the truck. And I said, well, are you going to go get it? He said, no. I said, why not? He said, I don't need it. I can walk the steel. And I said, well, you know, if you keep doing that, you could get yourself killed. His response was, I don't have anything to live for anyway. I said, well, what about your family? Don't have a family. What about your wife? Divorced. What about your kids? Don't have any kids. Never had them. Well, how about your parents? They care about you. Dead. I said, you're out of here. You know, that's about the only thing you can do in a situation like that. That You know, the fact of the matter is, it's very small. Less than 10% of behaviors that occur in the workplace are actually those kinds of behaviors that require disciplinary action. Now, an another one that kind of goes along with that is sabotage. If people are sabotaging your workplace, it's not only punishable, but it is prosecutable. I would have them locked up. Now, there are a number of culpability flowcharts that are often used in human performance as a tool to ferret out where things fall and the appropriate response for each. We use one with clients, and you can find many of them on the Internet. However, there are upsides and downsides to using one of these flowcharts. First of all, no flowchart is perfect. Not every nuance of a scenario can be captured in a flowchart. So they must be viewed simply as a guide as a tool. You still have to use common sense. Sometimes there's a fine line between how one manager views an issue versus another. Sometimes managers may want to use the flowchart to justify why things should fall into the punishable areas of the chart. This is a problem and an indication that rather than using systems thinking, they're still in the mode of trying to fix the workers. The upside, however, is that it is an organized tool that helps to keep management focused on the appropriate response given that it is used correctly. Most of the culpability flowcharts that you find floating around on the internet out there 
require the use of two tests. One is called the substitution test and the other is the routine test. The substitution test is where you mentally replace those involved with equal qualifications and ask would they do the same thing. If yes, it's likely system induced. If no, it may be culpable. The routine test is that is everyone doing this? If this is a routine behavior on the job site, we have a system issue. It has more to do with culture and more with leadership than it does with the worker. Now, do you even need a flow chart? If you're just starting out in human performance and trying to get your management into the mindset of systems thinking, it could be helpful. Otherwise, it is too easy to default back to the old view of crime and punishment. It kind of keeps them within the lines and within the spirit of HP. As the organization matures, the need for such a tool becomes less and less important. One word of caution about culpability flowcharts is that they should never, ever, and I mean never, ever, be used by learning teams, event learning teams particularly. These are simply tools for management to use to have discussions about how they should respond. If the flowcharts are used by learning teams, it will quickly destroy the ability of the teams to be neutral, non-biased, and the ability to truly learn. The job of the learning teams is to capture the context of the event, not to judge. Another way to look at culpability is to simply determine if the action or behavior was intentional or unintentional. If it was unintentional, it is either human error or system induced. If it was intentional, it could still possibly be system induced or it could be culpable. Not perfect, but it pushes you a little closer to understanding the appropriate response. Now all this said, determining culpability is a sticky issue and most organizations are not very good at it. There's no jury of peers, there are no appeal processes, and you have to also consider who's making this determination. What are their qualifications and motivations for the determinations made? Often it could be a safety person who gets upset because someone broke their rule, or a supervisor who had a relationship issue with the worker and uses it as retribution. While we're on this topic, let's briefly discuss the difference between what Sidney Decker refers to as retributive justice versus restorative justice. These are critical to developing a just culture or a culture of procedural justice. Retributive justice is where someone wants to get back at the offender for any number of reasons. A common one is punishing the worker because they, quote, hurt the company's recordable rate by having an injury, or they get mad at the worker because they accidentally skipped a step in a procedure and caused an operational upset. Restorative justice is different. It is where the organization realizes that retribution is non-productive and actually harms the culture. They realize that in most cases there are many system issues at play. They also realize that those involved in an event may also have needs that are unfulfilled by the organization. In bad situations, workers involved may feel bad themselves about what occurred and may blame themselves, when in fact it may weigh more heavily on the side of management not living up to its own obligations for training, leadership, 
or providing easy access to tools, equipment, and personal protective equipment. While we're on this subject, let's talk about one more gorilla in the room. Often those attending human performance introductory sessions for the first time become concerned that HP is about taking away personal responsibility from the worker. They will usually state something like, this is a get out of jail free card for the workers. Let's be clear, it is not in any way taking away personal accountability. It's simply a way of balancing accountability and creating a system of fairness so that workers are not punished for things they have no control over, like schedule, budget, staffing, but they are held accountable for things that they can actually control. Well, that's it for this episode. Hope you found it informative, useful, and value. Kind of short and sweet, but it's a really important topic, and it is a huge stumbling block, and you will encounter this. When you're out training people around human performance, you will get the old get-out-of-jail-free comments. We also have to remember that our managers have been trained around the old paradigm, and it is easy to default back into that old paradigm. So we constantly have to keep them focused on the principles of human performance, the pillars of human performance, and keep them focused on a just culture. If you haven't already done so, please subscribe and click the bell for notifications of new episodes that we post every week. At least most of the time here lately, we've uh, been a little bit slack just because we've been so busy. So we've gone a couple of weeks without posting something. So until next time, have a great day and go out and save a life.